The following podcast contains audio extracted from videos on the Harry Potter Theory YouTube channel. Hey everyone, welcome to another installment of Harry Potter Theory. Today we're diving deep in the lore and unearthing 10 lesser known Harry Potter theories that you likely haven't heard of before. These are the sorts of theories that'll make you think, ah, I never thought of that, and might even hold the power to change the way you see the wizarding world. Anyway, let's get to it. The secret behind magical portraits. In the wizarding world, magical portraits serve as a way of immortalizing deceased witches and wizards long after they have passed away. This ensures that their knowledge and wisdom can be passed down to future generations. And while many wizarding portraits are simply still images, much like muggle portraits, a great number of them are enchanted and brought to life via enchanted paint, allowing the portrait to emulate the behavior and mannerisms of the portrait subject. However, like anything, there are levels to how advanced these portraits can be, with headmaster's portraits being the most technical. Conventional wisdom suggests that headmaster's portraits are painted well before their deaths, kept away in hidden locations where only their living counterparts are able to interact with them. Following the portrait's initial creation, the subjects would then visit their paintings as often as possible, imparting memories and wisdom onto them, basically teaching the paintings how to be them. Through this process, they are able to become very good representations of these witches and wizards, but I don't know if I'm entirely convinced. Some of these portraits, like Dumbledore's and Snape's, seem far too alive and capable, which leads me to question the process. Rowling has stated that the type of portrait typically corresponds to the power and abilities of the witch or wizard who is featured in the painting, this suggests that the more powerful a witch or wizard was in life, the more lifelike their portrait stands to be. At least as far as headmaster's portraits are concerned, I think it's entirely possible that a tiny sliver of the subject's soul is willingly implanted into the portrait, allowing the portrait to exhibit such lifelike behavior. If you're already on your deathbed, why not preserve a little piece of yourself to bestow wisdom upon the generations to come? It's entirely possible that splitting the soul even in such an infinitesimal way, would entirely contradict what some of these main characters stand for. But it's a fun thought. Hogwarts is sentient. Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry is a magical place full of enchantment and mystery that was created by its four founding members, Godric Gryffindor, Salazar Slytherin, Helga Hufflepuff, and Rowena Ravenclaw. While each of the founding members was responsible for bringing something to the table during the creation of the school, the founder most responsible for its architecture was probably Rowena Ravenclaw, as she was influential in the creation of the castle as well as the school's ever-changing floor plan. Hogwarts is undoubtedly spectacular to look at, an unquestionable architectural marvel, but it does seem like there's an underlying element of mystery to the castle, wouldn't you agree? The theory I've got for you suggests that the castle itself is actually a sentient being, capable of understanding and reacting to the emotions and events happening within its walls. This would explain the ever-changing staircases, the hidden passages, and the seemingly endless array of secret rooms. The founders were able to turn a regular hat into a sentient being, the Sorting Hat, in order to perpetuate their belief systems, so I can't imagine why they wouldn't have extended this sort of magic to the very walls of the castle. A step further, what if the Hogwarts founders inserted their own consciousness into the school's walls? Thestrals are science experiments. Thestrals are a mysterious breed of winged horse with skeletal and reptilian features, resembling a sort of evil pegasus. 
The following excerpt from The Order of the Phoenix depicts Harry's initial reaction to Thestrals. If he had to give them a name, he supposed he would have called them horses, though there was something reptilian about them too. They were completely fleshless, their black coats clinging to their skeletons, of which every bone was visible. Their heads were dragonish and their pupilless eyes white and staring. Wings sprouted from each wither, vast, black, leathery wings that looked as though they ought to belong to giant bats. Standing still and quiet in the gathering gloom, the creatures looked eerie and sinister. The Ministry of Magic considers Thestrals to be dangerous, as they have a bad rap as omens of misfortune, because they are only visible to those who have seen death. The theory I've got for you today suggests that Thestrals are not naturally occurring creatures sprouted from nature, but are in fact the result of dark arts experiments by evil wizards. In the wizarding world, there is such a thing as a regular winged horse, and so the theory posits that Thestrals were once ordinary winged horses that became exposed to dark magic. Though not even remotely as evil, perhaps Thestrals are to winged horses as Dementors are to witches and wizards. Neville Longbottom's Clumsiness Neville is well known for his clumsiness and forgetfulness, and this aspect of Neville's character is reinforced again and again for a large portion of the series. Some of it can be explained by his wand. You see, for most of his life, Neville's wand isn't Neville's at all. It actually originally belonged to his father, Frank Longbottom. We know that the wand chooses the wizard, so having a wand handed down to you is a surefire way of stunting your magical abilities. But that doesn't explain everything. Neville was clumsy beyond just performing spells. The theory I'm about to introduce suggests that Neville's grandmother, Augusta, is to blame. After Neville's parents were tortured to insanity, he was sent to live with his grandmother, Augusta. Augusta was the mother of Neville's father, Frank Longbottom, and longed for Neville to grow up to be just like his father. However, Neville's early ineptitude led to her being quite disappointed in her grandson. The theory that I want to introduce today suggests that during Neville's youth, Augusta may have cast a confundus charm on the young boy. There are a few angles. The first is that Augusta did this entirely by accident. Though she was a talented witch in her own right, Augusta was no spring chicken, so it's possible that she simply cast the spell on Neville by accident while trying to achieve some sort of other result. The next is that Augusta intentionally cast the spell on Neville in order to protect him from potential Death Eater attacks, the rationale here being that if Neville appeared less capable, then he would be less of a target. Augusta had gone through the traumatizing process of witnessing her capable, brave, and impressive son tortured to insanity, leaving behind an empty shell. It's entirely possible that Augusta, clinging on to the hope that Neville would turn out like Frank, sheltered the boy in order to protect him. If true, this would explain Neville's sudden urge of competence and bravery in the later books, as the charm's effects may have started to wear off. The Mirror of Erised reveals even more than meets the eye. The Mirror of Erised is a magical mirror that shows us the deepest, most desperate desires of our hearts. This is reflected in the mirror's name, no pun intended, as Erised flipped around reads as desire. The mirror itself was made sometime before the end of the 19th century, and is located in the Room of Requirement in Hogwarts. Engraved on the mirror are the words Erisad Stra Eru Oit Ub Kafru Oit On Huasi, which backwards reads as, I show not your face, but your heart's desire. And while conventional wisdom suggests that what's shown in the mirror is a very much intangible reflection of one's desires, the theory I've got for you today really takes it a step further. This theory suggests that the mirror is actually a portal to an alternate reality, where the viewer's desires have come true. This would explain the mirror's ability to show such vivid and realistic images, 
as well as its potential to become addictive and dangerous to those who gaze into it for too long. We've seen other enigmatic gateways in the Harry Potter universe, such as the Veil, so the idea that this magical artifact crosses interdimensional boundaries is not entirely out of the question. If true, this would add a new dimension to the Mirror of Erised and its role in the series, transforming it from a mere reflection of desire to a gateway to another world. The Philosopher's Stone is a Horcrux Nicolas Flamel was a French scribe born in the year 1330 that is said to be responsible for the creation of the fabled alchemical creation, the Philosopher's Stone. He's a real-life historical figure that was adapted by J.K. Rowling. Over the course of his life, Flamel had two great, big understatement there, achievements in the realm of alchemy. The first was his creation of the Philosopher's Stone, an object with the ability to turn base metals into gold. The second, and the one we're going to discuss in depth, was his creation of the Elixir of Life, a potion made from the Philosopher's Stone that granted the drinker immortality. Because of Flamel's Elixir of Life, he ended up being one of the longest living wizards in history. However, fearing that the stone would one day fall into the wrong hands, Flamel and Dumbledore devised a plan to destroy it. The stone's destruction, however, came at a great price, Flamel's life. The theory I've got for you today posits that Flamel's Philosopher's Stone was an object not unlike Voldemort's Horcruxes, an anchor to the mortal realm. Just like Voldemort stowed pieces of his soul into physical objects, Flamel's stone contained fragments of his soul that tethered him to life. Did the Philosopher's Stone really keep Flamel alive because of a supposed elixir of life, or was Flamel just a fraud that relied on the stone's existence to remain in the land of the living? This theory of course paints Flamel in a bit of a morally dubious light, but it's interesting to think about. Harry's Class Size Did you ever think that, for the greatest wizarding school in the world, Harry's class sizes seemed a little small? For the number of wizards across the globe, it seems unlikely that one of the pillars of wizarding education would boast such a small number of aspiring young witches and wizards. Well, I may have an explanation. This theory suggests that because so many witches and wizards were killed during the first wizarding war, the significant hit to the wizard population resulted in far fewer students. Harry's year, along with the surrounding years, would have been the children and grandchildren of those who perished or were otherwise affected by the war. The decrease in population would naturally result in fewer students being born during that time, leading to smaller class sizes at Hogwarts. It's a grim thought, but it makes sense when you consider the devastating impact that Voldemort and the Death Eaters had on the Wizarding World. The Deathly Hallows and Rule of Three Harry Potter is known for its Rule of Sevens. In the Wizarding World, the number seven is considered to be the most powerful magical number. As such, there are many sevens on display for us in the Harry Potter story. Seven times that Voldemort split his soul, seven Weasley children, and seven galleons for Harry's first wand. But I think that another overlooked number in the series is three. This theory discusses the notion that the three Deathly Hallows, the Elder Wand, the Resurrection Stone, and the Invisibility Cloak, represent the trio of Harry, Hermione, and Ron, respectively. Harry is the true master of the Elder Wand, Hermione is the brains who could metaphorically bring back the dead with her knowledge, and Ron is often overshadowed by his friends, much like someone wearing the invisibility cloak. At least this is true for the film version of his character. This theory connects the beloved trio and the legendary Hallows. The Goblet of Fire's Secret The Goblet of Fire is the magical artifact used to select champions for the Triwizard Tournament. The goblet was first used in 1294 when it was introduced for the very first tournament on record. What's interesting about the goblet, however, 
is that its creation is shrouded in mystery, leaving many to wonder about its true nature and origins. The theory I've got for you today suggests that the Goblet of Fire, much like the Sorting Hat, is in fact a sentient magical artifact, capable of making decisions and judgments based on the intentions and desires of those who submit their names. This would explain the Goblet's ability to assess the worthiness of each applicant and select the most worthy champions, as it would possess a deep understanding of each individual's character and potential. This may also explain its susceptibility to magical tampering, as this would allow it to be influenced by the intentions of anyone who cast a spell on the Goblet. If the Goblet of Fire is indeed sentient, the only question that remains is who created it? Fire, Water, Air and Earth This theory posits that the four houses of Hogwarts are linked with the four classical elements. Gryffindor, the brave and daring, represents fire. This passionate and fierce element is known for its power and intensity, much like the courageous students of Gryffindor. Fire symbolizes the burning desire to stand up for what is right and the unwavering determination to face challenges head-on, characteristics that are deeply ingrained in the spirit of Gryffindor House. Ravenclaw, the wise and intellectual, symbolizes air. This element is associated with the mind, knowledge and communication, perfectly reflecting the values of Ravenclaw students. Air represents the boundless curiosity and thirst for knowledge that drives the pursuit of wisdom and understanding, qualities that are highly respected and nurtured within the Ravenclaw house. Hufflepuff, the loyal and hardworking, embodies Earth. As the most grounded and stable of the four elements, Earth symbolizes the unwavering loyalty, steadfastness, and dedication that are hallmarks of Hufflepuff House. Earth represents the nurturing and supportive nature of Hufflepuffs, who are known for their strong sense of community and commitment to fairness and equality. And finally, Slytherin, the cunning and ambitious, signifies water. This element is often associated with depth, adaptability, and the ability to navigate the complexities of life. Water represents the resourcefulness and ambition that drives Slytherin students to achieve their goals, often with a level of subtlety and cunning that is unmatched. The fluidity and adaptability of water reflect the Slytherin House's ability to navigate through challenges, always seeking the most advantageous path. And that's it for this video. What do you think of these theories? Which did you like? Which didn't you like? Please leave a comment down below with your thoughts and be sure to include any Harry Potter theories of your own. Until next time, remember, it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live.